Uh, getting things upside down. Uh, it means doing things in a back-to-front way, turning the right priority of things on their head. Uh, getting things upside down is buying a house before you've got the finance. It's recording a CD when you can't sing. It's opening a restaurant when you can't cook. Getting things upside down is having a baby to fix your marriage. It's being glued to your phone on social media when you're surrounded by real friends to talk to. And to this list we could add worshipping God. People get worshipping God upside down. Which, if you think about it, is a dangerous thing to do. Because when it comes to worshipping the creator of the universe and the righteous judge of everything, you don't want to get worshipping him wrong. So how is it you can get worshipping God upside down? Here's how. By thinking worship is about receiving when it's really about giving. By thinking worship's about receiving when it's really about giving. So what do we mean by worship? How do we define it? Well, there's a saying, if you ask two Greek men for an opinion, you'll get three answers. Well, I think if you ask 10 Christians what they mean by worship, you'd probably get 15 different answers. Have a look at what Psalm 29 says, though, about worship. Verse 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. First four lines give us four commands. Ascribe, 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 worship. Ascribe just means to give. So here we've got four commands from God himself about what he requires of us. And so at least, uh, there's probably more we could say, of course, but worship, at least from these two verses, is giving to God the things he commands, giving him the things he requires, the things he deserves. Uh, We're to give him the glory that's due him. Well, that's the first two verses. The rest of the psalm will then go on and show us how to do that, how we give him what he deserves. It's upside down to think that worship is about us receiving something when it's really about God receiving something. God is the one church is designed to serve. It's not about you being served. We call it a worship service because we're offering God our service of worship. And yet too often we think that it's called a worship service because we're to be served. We're to receive something. It's upside down to expect to be served when it's your job to serve. Just imagine you go to a restaurant and the waiter at your table is seating, seated at your table when you arrive with his feet up on the table. You walk up to your table and he says to you, great, I'm glad you've finally arrived. I've been waiting for you to serve me. Can I have another cocktail? That'd be completely upside down, wouldn't it? And it's the same with church. Our job at church, our job in worship is to serve. It's not to be served. It's not your place to be looking for something that suits you in worship. Uh, That is all about you being built up or that you like or that you approve of. That's upside down. And yet we often come to church looking for something for us, don't we? Some encouragement, 
some teaching, some comfort, some fellowship. Have you ever said in the car on the way home, did you get anything out of church today? No, I didn't. Did you get anything? How often do we go away from church instead asking the question, I wonder what God got out of church this morning? What did God receive? What did God think? Does God like modern songs or old hymns? Does God like short prayers or long prayers? Does God like a doxology or no doxology? Does he like amens or no amens? Well, yes and yes. God does like modern songs and old hymns, short prayers and long prayers, doxologies and no doxologies, amens and no amens. He likes our worship when it comes from a heart that is focused on him, that means what it says. That's when God loves our worship. He commands us to give to him what he deserves and not for it to be about us. And yet the amazing thing is, though, when we do have our attention fixed on what God wants and we're giving to him, then that actually becomes the sort of worship that will satisfy and energise and encourage you the most when you worship God and give to him the things he requires. But worship is more than just simply the words you use. God wants more than your words. At its very simplest, the word worship means to bow down, to prostrate yourself before somebody. Yes, God wants our words of praise, but they're just the beginning. Worship is about giving God everything. Our strength, our intelligence, our time, our loyalty, our obedience, all that we have and all that we are in response to him. It's all worship. Worship begins at church on Sunday, but it continues all week. Are we giving him the praise of our voices, the love of our heart, and the concentration of our brains in Sunday, on a Sunday? But not only that, are we then giving him the loyalty of our lives, the steadfastness of our work and our attitudes, Are we giving him the best part of our day and the first fruits of our labours for the rest of the week? Are we serving others relentlessly and patiently and cheerfully because that is part of our service for God? The way you pray is worship. When you recognise God's character and his power in your prayer... That's worship, that's giving to him what he deserves. But rather, when we ignore prayer and we just jump in and go ahead and do it all in our own strength, that's not worship. That's not giving God the glory due his name. Tough choices we make during the week are worship as well. When you choose to step out in faith, when you choose the difficult but right option... That's honouring God. It's recognising his power at work in you. That's ascribing to God the glory and strength that's due him. Your tough choices during the week are worship. The first way we get worship upside down is to think it's about receiving when it's actually about giving. The next way we get worship upside down is we think it's only about us. 
We think it's only about us. Have a look there again in verse 1. Who's to worship God? Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Well, who are the mighty ones? Well, it could be you and I. After all, we did do that song. My shoulders are feeling it after the actions to the song. Yes, it could be mighty ones. That could be us. Interestingly, the phrase in Hebrew is actually sons of God. Uh, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of God, glory and strength. Well, who's that? Well, it could be people. It could be uh, the rest of the congregation. There is a a similar phrase in in Deuteronomy 14, 14, verse 1, that does refer to people. You are the children, you are the sons of the Lord your God. Don't cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are a people holy to the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 14.1. So sons of the Lord your God, that's referring to people. But I don't think that's what is meant here. There's only one other place in Psalms where this same phrase is used. Uh, Sons of God. It's in Psalm 89. Let me read it for you and see if you can work out from the context who sons of God is referring to. Psalm 89, verse 6 and 7. If If you've got it, you might want to look at it. Psalm 89, 6 and 7. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the sons of God? In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Do you see that? Four different ways of saying pretty much the same thing. So I think from the context we work out sons of God refers to all those who are in the heavenly court surrounding God. And so what we've got here in Psalm 29 is the psalmist is calling on the whole heavenly host to worship God. It's not just you. It's not just human voices. Uh, That's what God is worth. It's not enough for simply human voices to praise him. We can't give him the glory that is his due. I found out a little bit of information as I was working this out, uh, as I was researching a 21-gun salute. A 21-gun salute was originally uh, a, a, a boat, a, a naval ship would empty all of its ammunition by firing it out to sea, harmlessly out to sea, to show a, uh, when a, a neighbouring uh, ruler was around, to say, yep, we're not going to fire on you, we're just emptying our, all our artillery. And so a 21-gun salute became a way of showing honour to a visiting head of government. Uh, but during the British Raj, uh, India developed a whole system of different numbers of gun salutes. So there wasn't just one 21. Well, what if there's someone more important than a 21-gun salute? What do you do then? Or, or less important, they don't quite deserve a 21-gun salute. I don't know if anyone's actually done any... Uh, research on this, but I think it's quite interesting that India's got the caste system and they were the ones that developed the gun salutes. But anyway, let me tell you a bit about it. If you were a local governor, you got a nine-gun salute. Uh, Fifteen, seventeen for a a higher governor, twenty-one if you were a head of state. But then if you were a member of the royal family, you got a thirty-one-gun salute. But then, if you were the king emperor of India, you got 
101 guns. How long would that take? 101 guns salute. But the thinking behind it is what we've got here in this verse. God is worth much greater praise than simply from human voices. The writer's saying, we can't praise God loudly enough or gloriously enough. We need the angels to turn up the volume. Crank it up to 11, is what he's saying. It's like the picture we get in Revelation chapter 5. Angels, elders, Christians, all surrounding Jesus in the heavenly throne room. Revelation 5 verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said Amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. That's the sort of worship that's giving God his due. It's interesting to see that the creatures that are in the sea sing as well. So we'll have you know, whale singing that you know, is part of the chorus of praise to God. Imagine that. Well, our worship in church is far more important than simply us. Our singing might be good, but we're just one small section of the choir. It's upside down. Uh, to sing along, to worship God and just think that it's only you, to think that that's all it is. Uh, When we remember that, that we're just one part of the choir, it'll change our attitude to what we do here. We won't make do with second best. Uh, The songs we choose, the way we pray, the way we encourage, the energy we use uh, when we sing in how much we work at concentrating when we remember we're one small part, that God is the centre and the focus, that he deserves our glory, he deserves our best attention. Too often our attention is on other things rather than on giving God his due, on the temperature of the room, the volume of the microphone, the instruments that are playing, too few hymns, too many prayers, the sermon's too short, the sermon's too long, There's no Lord's Prayer. There is a Lord's Prayer. It's the wrong Lord's Prayer. Our attention is on the wrong things. But when we remember that we are one small part, uh, we can give God our best attention, expect him to speak to us, and those other things will fade and our worship will be transformed. Well, focusing on God is what the rest of the psalm draws us to do. Have a look at verse 2. It commands us to worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Uh, That could be just as correctly translated, worship the Lord for the splendour of his holiness, which I think probably makes more sense. Worship the Lord for the splendour of his holiness. In other words, bow down before God because his holiness is so magnificent. Holiness. There's all sorts of parts to what holiness is, but it's about God's separateness, that he's completely different and unique and he's pure. That's who God is and that's why we're to worship him. And then to help us do that, verses 3 to 10, we get an illustration, a picture 
of the qualities of this holy, pure God, of how completely other he is to us. Imagine you're sitting on a mountain in Israel, looking down over the Mediterranean Sea or perhaps the Sea of Galilee. It's late afternoon and you can hear and see a thunderstorm that is building out across the water. The clouds darken, thunder cracks, lightning flashes, the wind picks up, it howls, and the trees nearby bend over double. As you're imagining that, you pull out, you, you pull your Bible out of your pocket and, and the wind is whipping its pages and the, sun, the thunder is so loud you can scarcely concentrate and spats, uh, spots of rain smack onto the page and you begin reading Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. This is the God you are to worship. The one you are to give glory and strength to. The God you are to worship because of his majestic holiness. The God who speaks with such power, such destructive energy, such glory. What an amazing picture. And yet God's powerful voice has sounded in an even more amazing way than what we read about here. We see here a little of what God's voice is like in his power over creation and yet he's given us a far clearer, more powerful picture. We have even more reason to give him glory and honour and worship because he's spoken to us not with a voice that rocks creation but the living word, his son Jesus, who communicates exactly what God is like communicates his glory and justice and saving power. If you've got your Bibles open, hopefully you have, flip over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And listen to the comparison between Jesus and how God has spoken previously. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. 
People used to hear God's voice in all sorts of ways, through prophets, but also through creation. But now we've got the privilege of seeing him so much more clearly, so much more glorious, and much more gloriously. Do you want a clear picture of God to worship? Well, look at Jesus. You want a reason to praise him? Look at Jesus. Focus on him. If the people of Israel's time could respond with the cry of glory when they see something of God in a storm, how much more should we cry glory because of Jesus? Let's make sure in giving God glory and strength that we focus on his greatest revelation, the Lord Jesus, the one who shows us God's glory and strength. Well, back to Psalm 29. The storm section finishes at verse 9 and God's people respond with this awe-inspired cry of glory. But look at how the psalm finishes. Verse 10 and 11, it finishes in looking at God in two different ways. Firstly, verse 10 with the telescope and then verse 11 with a microscope. Look at verse 10 and 11. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. We need both these verses to capture how majestic God is, don't we? He is both king over the universe, over oceans and mountains and huge cedar forests, and nothing can stand before him who brings destruction and violent upheaval. But also, verse 11, he gives his children strength and peace. Back in verse 1, we're the ones who give God glory and strength. And yet here, he gives us strength and peace. It's an amazing contrast, isn't it, between verse 10 and 11. Uh, The big picture power and the small picture gentle care. And if you want to pray to God, you need both those things, don't you? You need to know he cares enough to hear you, but he's also big enough to do something about it. And when it comes to our praise, we need to remember both. That he's God of the big things. He looks after the whole world. He's provident in sending rain and crops and seasons and raising governments and causing the gospel to spread across the earth. But he's also at work in the small details of our lives. Uh, in moving things around so that a family buys a house in one area rather than another, blessing us with strength and peace, equipping us with a whole range of things to make it through the week. It's important to remember those things where we see God's hand at work when we come for worship. If worship is about God receiving, it's important to come with a gift to give. Just like you go shopping for a birthday party, we need to go shopping for a gift to bring God, for him to receive. We need to look for God at work during the week where we can recognise his goodness 
make a note and bring it with us to church and present those gifts in thankfulness. Even if it's in the car on the way to church, say to each other, what have we got to thank God for this week? What's a gift we can bring? That's going shopping for a gift. It might look like this uh, when you turn up at church. As you sing a song, you might be thinking, I'm singing this because you helped me deal with that tricky situation on Monday. And I'm saying this loud amen at the end of the prayer because you protected the kids on Tuesday. And I'm putting money in the collection bag in gratitude for how the the money seemed to be there to pay that bill on Wednesday. And I'm singing this verse as loud as I can because you gave me words to say to my neighbour on Thursday. And I'm bowing my head in prayer to remember how inadequate I felt to deal with that situation on Friday and yet I made it through. That's the sort of thinking that will transform our worship, that will make sure it's not upside down. Our worship is about giving, not receiving. It's about God and it's not about us. Hear God's words. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord for the splendour of his holiness. Jake's going to come and pray for us. Thanks, Jake.